Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from multiple locations in the San Gabriel Valley of sunny Southern California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead people to Jesus, a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you and opens your heart and inspires you to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Hey, Real Life Church, it's Pastor Jim. It's good to be back with you again. I've been away on vacation the last couple weeks, and I have missed you. Uh, We love being on vacation, but we love being back here. And there's a lot of great things going on in the life of our church right now. The students are headed off on a mission trip, uh, and so pray for them. They're off in San Diego caring for uh, homeless ministries and doing some uh, evangelism out on the streets. And our vacation Bible school is right around the corner here. Coming up in a, in a week or two, we've got uh, hundreds of kids signed up who will be packing out this place. Uh, and that is a great opportunity for some kids who don't have a home church to get to hear about Jesus for the first time. And so it is a great July here at Real Life. And I'm glad to be back and in the middle of it. Hey, we're going to continue in our series of teachings today called Encountering God. And we're going to talk about how God speaks directly into our lives. Because you may have been in that place of hearing about God and believing in God because someone else told you about him. And you have sort of a secondhand experience of faith. But what we've been looking at in this series is that God invites us into a firsthand experience of faith. A firsthand experience of him. It's like this. Uh, The first time uh, I had to change out a toilet in my house, I'd never done it before. I didn't know how it worked. So I got on YouTube and watched a YouTube video of a guy uh, ripping a toilet out of his house and putting a new one in. And that's how I learned how to do it. It's amazing what you can do these days uh, with all the fancy technology you kids came up with. But, But there are certain things that you can't learn secondhand. There are certain things that you can't learn by having them passed on to you from someone else. For instance, a couple of weeks ago, Uh, I took my 18-year-old daughter out, and I was teaching her how to drive my manual transmission. I have a stick shift in my car. She knows how to drive the the automatic. She knows how to drive her mom's car. But I wanted to teach her how to drive a stick shift. And you cannot learn how to drive a stick shift in any other way than experiencing it firsthand. You cannot watch a YouTube video about driving uh, with a manual transmission and figure it out. You have to feel it for yourself. And so I took her out to the Citrus College parking lot, and uh, we drove around. There's a couple less light poles in the Citrus College parking lot than there used to be, but that's fine. And, uh, and now she knows how to drive a manual transmission. Well, experiencing God is like driving a manual transmission. You have to experience firsthand what it's like to listen to the voice of God and feel God's call on your life. Jesus says at one point, the, the sheep will know the voice of the shepherd. And you don't learn the voice of the shepherd by having someone else describe the voice to you. You learn the voice of the shepherd by hearing it. And that's what we want to do in this series. To move from a secondhand experience of faith to a firsthand experience of faith. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you that you came down and walked the earth so that you would not stay far from us. So that we didn't have to wonder at who you were. So that we didn't have to take guesses. So that we would stop building idols to gods that we imagined, but instead you revealed yourself to us so that we would have a firsthand experience of you. And I thank you that we can have a a secondhand experience of faith through the stories of your life that are recorded and passed on to us, but we can also have a firsthand experience of faith. We can experience your power and your presence and your voice. 
And that's what we want today. So send your spirit to us and speak to us. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. As I've shared with you, I often on Saturday nights go to a prayer meeting, often Pasadena, and we pray for people. And they put us on little teams of three or four people, and somebody will come in the room uh, who we don't know, we haven't met before. All we know is their first name on their name tag, and we'll pray for them for about 10 minutes. But we do what's called prophetic prayer. And we, we ask God to speak through us to the people we pray for, and we see what happens. And a couple weeks ago, uh, I was praying, I was on this prayer team, and this guy walked in, and immediately I thought, this guy's a pastor. Uh, and which is not a normal thing. Most of the people who go through there are not uh, church staff. But I immediately thought, this guy's a pastor. And before I could say anything, the woman on the prayer team with me said to him, I, I sense that you're a pastor. And I looked at her and I was like, that's what I was about to say. And then she said, and I get the sense that there's a new property in your life. It's a church or a house or something. There's, there's a new property. And for some reason, I, I just felt really strongly. I said, it's, it's not a church. It is a house. You've just bought and moved into a new house, haven't you? And he kind of looked at us both and I said, you got to let us know. Was that right? And he says, I am a pastor and I did just buy a new house and I just moved into it. It's really challenging. It needs a lot of work. And so when God speaks to us that way through prayer, we can then say, well, God knows your situation and God cares about you. There's nothing going on in your life that God doesn't know about and he loves you. And he wants you to know he can bless your situation uh, where you are right now. Uh, or again, another uh, instance, I sat down a couple of weeks ago with a guy who is a, a worship director at another church who visited our church recently. And he does a, a ministry with people in prison. And he said one day he was visiting a guy who was in prison, who was in all kinds of trouble. And he was talking to the guy about how the guy had lived his life. And this, this worship director, this, this minister said, he said, I, I don't know how I knew to say it, but it just came to me in a moment. I said to this guy in prison, how does your grandmother feel about your life right now? And, and this, this prisoner was kind of shocked and he said, why did you ask that? How did, why did you ask about my grandmother? And, and it turned out that his grandmother was the most significant adult figure in his life. He cared more about what his grandmother thought than anybody else. And so I asked this, this worship director, this this the prison uh, minister, I asked him, I said, how did you know to say grandmother instead of mom or dad? And he said, I don't know. I just felt it. I felt it really clearly that that's what I was supposed to say. You ever have those one of, moments, one of those moments where you just felt like you knew something for sure and it felt like more than a guess and then later on it turned out to be right? Well, sometimes you're just a good guesser. Sometimes that's just what it is. There are uninspired coincidences in the world, and that's just natural things in the natural world. But the Bible talks about a group of people called the prophets. In fact, a big chunk of the Bible is dedicated to the prophets. And the Bible talks about something called the gift of prophecy, which is just listening to God and being able to say, here's what God's saying. And in fact, the Bible tells us to pray for the gift of prophecy, to seek out the ability to hear what God is saying. The Apostle Paul says, if you're going to pray for anything at all, pray for that. And so today, I want to talk about the prophets and the gift of prophecy. Because if we're seeking to encounter God, if we're seeking to move from a secondhand experience of faith to a firsthand experience of faith, listening to the voice of God will blow your mind. 
It will radically change your faith life. It will invigorate you for a kind of passionate faith like you've never had before. Let's look at what the Bible says about the prophets. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, there is a a big block of uh, books of the Bible called the prophets. And modern theologians divide those into two groups. One is called the major prophets and one is called the minor prophets. The major prophets are like Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Daniel, and the book Lamentations that was written by Jeremiah is usually grouped in there. There's those, those five books are the major prophets. And they're called the major prophets for the very sophisticated, deep theological reason that they're longer. The major prophets are the long ones. The minor prophets are the shorter ones. And there's a dozen of those in the Hebrew Bible. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Omodiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Those are the 12 short minor prophets. Uh, the one everybody's heard of is Jonah, right? Jonah and the whale. Whale swallows Jonah, spits him up on a beach. That's the one we all know about. That's one of the minor prophets. And the prophets came along in the history of Israel in between the time of King David, where they had their own empire and they ruled and everything was secure and safe, to the time they were in slavery in Babylon and everything was lost. They had lost their kingdom and lost their king and they were at risk of being annihilated. The prophets all come in that season of Israel's history to say, hey, you better look out. If we're not faithful to God, God says everything's going to fall apart. They're they're even very specific. God says Babylon is going to come in and conquer us and take us off into slavery if we don't repent and become faithful again. And sure enough, that's what what happens. Uh, God would say to Jeremiah, tell them to settle in Babylon and build their houses there and pray for Babylon because that's where they're going to live for 40 years. And sure enough, that's what happened. The prophets spoke both about things that were to come and things that were going on in the world right then, but things that they didn't know about in a natural way, things that they knew about supernaturally, because God told them that's what the prophets are. That's who they are, and that's where they are in the Bible. Now, there are about three things you need to know about the prophets and how they operated, how they worked, what went on in their lives. Number one, most of them were called to be prophets. Most of them had a a story of faith in which God called them and said, I'm going to give you my word, and you're going to preach my word to the people. Let me, let me read you one of the uh, call narratives of the prophets. This is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, at verse 1. Isaiah writes, In the year that King Uzziah died, and this is important because he's, he's dropping it at a certain place in history. This isn't a, a parable, this is an event. And he says, here's the, the time and the date it happened. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted seated on a throne. So he has a vision, a visual experience of seeing something that's not in the natural world. And that's often the experience of the prophets. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, which are angels, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now here comes Isaiah's call. Here's where uh, God taps Isaiah to be a prophet. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. When Isaiah enters into the presence of God and he realizes he's standing in the presence of the living God, he sees what a contrast his own broken and sinful life is to the perfection of God, 
it's a, it's a scary thing to step into the presence of God. It, it's like looking in a mirror and seeing all the, the dirt that's on your own face. And so Isaiah is, is paralyzed. Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. Then one of the seraphim, one of the angels, flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. Now, this is a vision. This is not physically happening. It's a vision of something happening, happening and it's, it's a metaphor. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Isaiah said, I am a man of unclean lips. That means I've spoken unclean things. What comes out of me is not pure. I don't deserve to stand in the presence of God. The idea that his lips are unclean are a metaphor for I'm, I'm a sinful person. I'm a broken person. And the, the coal touching his lips is a metaphor of the, the brokenness in him being purified. Right? See, Isaiah, you have lived a broken life, but you have been made clean by God to prepare, for, prepare you for what he's calling you to. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. And that is Isaiah's call narrative. That is the story of God calling Isaiah to be a prophet. Isaiah didn't deserve it and he didn't earn it. He knew that about himself. I, I, don't, I don't deserve to hear from God. I don't deserve to be in God's presence. I'm not a clean enough person to go and deliver the word of God. My lips are not clean enough. And God purifies him and God calls him. And then Isaiah affirms it. Here I am. Send me. And there are call stories all throughout the Bible. God speaks out of the burning bush and says to Moses, you're going to go and set the people free from Israel. God taps David to be the king. You were a shepherd who watched over sheep, and now you're going to watch over my people. You're going to be the shepherd of my people. Jesus himself goes to his future disciples and says, you have been fishermen, and now you're going to fish for men. And God still issues call narratives today. You may have your own call narrative. You may be able to point to a time in your life where you knew God was telling you what he made you for. You might be in the midst of discerning your call narrative right now. You may have a call narrative in your past that you've wandered away from, and it is never too late to return to what you know God is calling you to do. Uh, in, my, in my bedroom, I have a painting on the wall. It's a painting of a shepherd watching over a flock of sheep. And it's a, an impressionist painting by the uh, painter uh, Pissarro, which is uh, over 100 years ago, 150 years ago. Uh, he painted this, this flock of sheep and uh, the shepherd watching over them. And I keep that painting on my wall. It's one of my favorites. The original one is in the Norton Simon out in Pasadena. Uh, and I keep that because it's a, it's a reminder to me of my own call narrative. Because I remember being in high school and going on a mission trip. And there was a morning where I woke up and all my friends in the youth group were asleep in their sleeping bags. We were camped out at a church. We were working with the homeless during the day and sleeping at a church on the floor overnight. There was a morning where I woke up and I looked all across the room at all of my friends who were asleep in their sleeping bags. And I looked at the sunlight coming through the curtains and I remember having this, this deep inner peace 
And I realized at that moment, this is what a shepherd does. A shepherd sits and keeps watch over the flock so that they can rest in peace. And I had a deep inner sense that 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 was tied to my identity. Pastors are often called shepherds because that's our goal. We want to keep watch over flocks so that they can be safe. A second uh, step in my call narrative came when I stood up in a pulpit for the first time at the age of 17 on a Sunday in church and shared for five minutes everything I knew about life at the age of 17. And after I stepped down from the pulpit, I told my youth pastor, that, that felt right. And he said, well, let's talk about what that means in terms of your career. God still issues call narratives today. And God has a call narrative for you. Whether you've discerned it yet or not, whether you're in the process of discerning it or you know what it is, God has a call narrative for you. There are things he wants you to do in this world to fulfill your design so that you will find true happiness and fulfillment in this life, so that you'll be able to effectively change the world in Jesus' name. And God calls us, like the prophets, to seek that call narrative and to listen for his voice. The second thing you need to know about the prophets is that they learned to listen to God's voice and that God spoke in powerful ways through the prayer life of the prophets. Sometimes the prophets, as they they prayed, would hear an audible voice of God. Like in 1 Samuel chapter 3, Samuel hears God calling him and he walks in the next room to Eli the priest and goes, was that you? I heard somebody calling me. And Eli goes, what me? I didn't hear anything. Go back to bed. Because God actually spoke to Samuel audibly and Samuel became a great prophet. Sometimes they would see words in their minds, you know, like a daydream. And that's all it feels like. It feels like a daydream, but it's a a word that God is telling them. And sometimes they would see images, and those images were often metaphors. And I'm not sure exactly why God likes to speak in metaphors, but he does it throughout the Bible. Jesus likes using parables, and people are confused by Jesus' parables. And often he says that God's doing that to confound the people who think that they're wise. But but let me read you from uh, the prophet Amos, one of the stories of God using imagery to speak to Amos, and and God interprets the metaphor. In Amos chapter 8 at verse 1, it says, this is what the sovereign Lord showed me. This is Amos speaking. God, God gave Amos a visual image in his mind. This is what the sovereign Lord showed me, a basket of ripe fruit. What do you see, Amos? He asked. The Lord, the Lord asked Amos. A basket of ripe fruit, I answered. Then the Lord said to me, the time is ripe for my people Israel, and I will spare them no longer. God's mad at Israel for their sins. And he says, it's like a basket of ripe fruit. The time is ripe for them to get what's coming to them. And God often speaks in words and images when we listen for his voice as we pray. The third thing to know about prophets is that they often then went and delivered their messages through dramatic behavior and actions that called people's attention to what God was saying. There's this moment in the life of the prophet uh, Ezekiel. And Ezekiel was kind of a radical guy who did some pretty goofy things in his lifetime. Ezekiel chapter 4 verse 4. This is God speaking to Ezekiel now. Now, uh, son of man, which is what he calls Ezekiel, take a block of clay Put it in front of you and draw the city of Jerusalem on it. We're going to do a little art project. Then lay siege to it. Erect siege works against it. Build a ramp up to it. Set camps against it. And put battering rams around it. Right? We're going to build a little fort and then we're going to knock it down. Then take an iron pan 
Place it as an iron wall between you and the city and turn your face toward it. It will be under siege and you shall besiege it. This will be a sign to the people Israel. Then lie on your left side and put the sin of the people of Israel upon yourself. You are to bear their sin for the number of days that you lie on your side. I have assigned you the same number of days as the years of their sin. So for 390 days, you will bear the sin of the people of Israel. Do you understand what this says? God says to Ezekiel, I want you to lay down in the street for a year so that people have to deal with that visual image and understand what I'm saying to them. God often speaks through the prophets uh, in powerful, dramatic actions. John the Baptist was a prophet whose powerful, symbolic Im image, symbolic uh, uh, activity was baptism. You've been sinful and we have to wash you clean. And that was his prophetic image. Jesus carries on in the prophetic uh, ministries. When Nathanael comes to Jesus, uh, Jesus says, here's a man in, uh, in whom uh, uh, the purity of Israel rests. And Nathanael goes, wait a minute, how do, you, how do you know who I am? And Jesus says, I saw you when you were still sitting under the fig tree. Because Jesus, through the gift of prophecy, saw Nathanael before Nathanael was physically near him. And that's how the gift of prophecy often works. Jesus uses it again when he encounters a woman sitting at a well and says to her, go get your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. And he says, that's right, you have, you've had five. And the man you have now is not your husband. He's never met her before. He's using the gift of prophecy to see what's going on in the world. So those are the prophets. Those, that's the gift of prophecy. It runs all throughout the Bible. It happens over and over and over again. We don't talk a lot about it in our modern post-enlightenment world because it seems goofy. It seems uh, supernatural and strange. And people are scared of things like that. Plus, we all know the one person who's gotten so excited about uh, spiritual gifts that they're a little bit weird. And they make everybody uncomfortable. So in proper society, we often don't talk about things like prophecy and the gift of prophecy. But the Bible is just riddled with it. And here's the clincher. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, uh, Paul tells the Corinthians to pray for the gift of prophecy. Here it is, 1 Corinthians 14.1. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit especially prophecy. Eagerly desire the things that the Holy Spirit wants to give you, especially prophecy, which is the ability to hear what God is saying and communicate that to other people. The Apostle Paul says, whatever else you do, pray for the gift of prophecy. If we are Bible-believing Christians who believe that the Bible is God's word to us and we have never once in our lives prayed for the gift of prophecy, we are overtly disobeying the thing that we say we believe in. Because it's weird. It's unusual. It's not what they teach in college classes. And we're not sure what to do with it. We've all seen people who overdramatically say God is speaking to them when it doesn't seem like God is. That, that college guy who says to a girl that he likes, you know, God told me that you were going to be my wife one day. That might not be prophecy. That might just be overconfidence, buddy. Right? The, the gift of prophecy is a strange one. But, but Paul says, pray for it. Verse 3, the one who prophecies speaks to people for their strengthening, 
encouraging, and comfort. The gift of prophecy is an amazing gift because it tells people God sees you. God knows you. God knows what you need. In those moments where you're afraid, where you feel like you've been abandoned, where you feel like God just isn't there, prophecy breaks through all of that in radical ways to say, no, no, no. God sees exactly what's going on with you. God knows, for instance, that you're a, a pastor who's building, a, bought, bought a new house and is working on it. God knows what's going on in your life. And we're to pray for the gift of prophecy. Or in simple terms, we're to pray that God would speak to us so that we hear and are assured in our hearts that he knows us. So that we can communicate to other people how much he loves them. So here are a few guidelines for praying for the gift of prophecy because I want us to be a church that seeks to hear from God. One, the gift of prophecy is for everybody, not for, just for special people. It's not just Isaiah or Ezekiel or Daniel. It's not just the prophets. Paul says, if you pray for anything at all, pray for the gift of prophecy. It's for everyone. Two, you can and should ask for the gift. God wants to speak to you. He just needs you on your end to pick up the phone. Uh, number three, as you pray, pay attention to pictures that come to your mind, to strong feelings that you have, to words that occur to you or impressions that you have. Sometimes those are just our imagination. There, there's a process of practice and discernment in which we learn to listen to the voice of the shepherd. We become so cognitive in our modern world that we've lost track of the fact that our emotions are a gift from God as surely as our cognitive thinking is. And God can speak through our emotions as well as he can speak through our rational thoughts. Number four, it's for encouragement, not condemnation. As we learn to practice the gift of prophecy, as we learn to listen to God, it's for the sake of encouraging other people, not for calling them out. Number five, it primarily demonstrates that God knows you and loves you. Number six, it should make us humble, not proud. It shouldn't incline us to say, well, I, I'm hearing from God, so aren't I special? It should incline us to be like Isaiah who says, I, I don't deserve this. It's only if God wants to give it to me. It's only if God will purify me so that I can be faithful. Number seven, it doesn't give us control over anyone. Jesus chose the cross, not the throne. Jesus came not with a fist, but with an open hand through which he allowed humanity to put nails. Prophecy doesn't give us control over anyone to say, well, I'm hearing from God, so you have to do what I say. It makes us servants. Number eight, there's a process of hearing, interpreting, and delivering. And we can get it wrong in any one of those steps. We, we pray to hear from God. We then try to interpret it like Amos seeing the image of the, the basket of ripe fruit and, and trying to discern what we're hearing. And then we have to deliver the message well in a gracious and loving way that represents Jesus to the people with whom we share his word. And finally, number nine, practice makes better. Practice doesn't make perfect. Perfection is a disease. Practice makes better. And the more we listen to God, the better able we are to recognize the voice of our shepherd. This is your homework. Take time this week and carve out a space where you're alone and not distracted. Turn off your phone, turn off the media, 
and pray. Jesus, I want a deeper relationship with you. I want to know you better. Speak to me. I'm listening. Here I am. Send me. And then pray that we would be a prophetic church. The kind of church that Jesus dreamed of. The kind of church that was laid by the early Christians. Pray with me right now. Jesus, I thank you that you speak into our lives and into our world today. Help us to put aside doubt and fear, embarrassment, pride, and all the things that would stand between us and you. Help us to listen with open hearts and minds and ears, to know your word, to know your voice, to hear you well, and to follow you as you lead us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. God bless you. Go be the church. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.